0: listeners, I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You. For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today I welcome Wanda Morris, whose just-released thriller All Her Little Secrets has been inundated with accolades. Publishers Weekly included Wanda on its Fall 2021 list of writers to watch, and Library Journal featured All Her Little Secrets as a cover story, with this to say about the book. Morris deftly combines a creepy, Nazi-esque sect with a murderous plot and rounds out the intrigue with a striking commentary on racism, sexual assault, and misogyny. Wanda, welcome to Author Can I Ask You, and holy cow, you hit it out of the ballpark with this debut novel. Thank you, Joni, for having me, and thank you for those kind words. Well, everybody's saying those kind words. One reviewer described All Her Little Secrets as a brilliantly nuanced but powerhouse exploration of race, the legal system, and the crushing pressure of keeping secrets. So that's where I'd like to start. There is so much to talk about with this book, but I want to begin with all those secrets, especially the ones harbored by your main character, Elise Littlejohn. So, Wanda, can you talk a little bit about Elise and the role secrets, especially her own secrets, play in her complex characterization? Sure. So, Elise Littlejohn is a very
1: strong and passionate woman passionate about family and passionate about doing the right thing. She is an amalgam of women that I have known. She is beautiful. She's talented. She's funny. And she's also deeply, deeply flawed. (laughs) And uh, I think that's a lot of women out there in the real world. However, she is a woman with a lot of secrets and she works furiously to keep those secrets hidden, even from her closest friends. So she finds herself caught in this quagmire of a conspiracy among uh, the executive colleagues she works with. And in the process, she has to protect a brother that she tried to save years ago and stop this really horrific conspiracy that is underway.
0: You had mentioned that Elise is an amalgam of several people that you know. Is there a little bit of you in Elise? Oh, yeah, there he is. I'd be lying if I said there wasn't. <laughs> all the good parts, right? <laughs> exactly.
1: I, I like to think that that kind of, you know, kick ass, badass side of her <laughs> comes from me. Um, you know, those secrets come out of her desire to always kind of stay in control of who she is and what her exterior represents. And, you know, in doing that, she puts herself under a tremendous
0: amount of pressure and pain. I thought that was masterful. And particularly because I think some writers really, whether intentionally or unintentionally, protect their main character. Is that something you did consciously where you assigned her flaws, vulnerabilities? Or is that just something that was evoked as you were writing her character?
1: No, I was pretty intentional about her characterization. What I set out to do when I wrote this story, I wanted to tell the story of one Black woman's experience living in America and working in corporate America and the things that she would go through in order to find success to find you know happiness or whatever she was searching for now she comes out of a background that is of course horrific But she is strong and she's capable and she finds a way to break through all of that. And so I wanted to set out to tell this story so that she was someone that you were rooting for, that you just knew if she just hangs on because everything gets thrown at her in this story. If she can just hang in there, you know she's going to make it out on the other side. And I did that too, because I wanted people to root for her. I want people to understand that there is strength and there's resilience, despite all the horror that surrounds her, both in her backstory and in her present day situation.
0: The plot of the book has been described as heart pounding and razor sharp, a whodunit that will keep you guessing and second guessing from start to finish. From the opening where Elise walks into her boss's office for an early morning meeting and she finds him dead. So what does she do? She walks away like (laughs) nothing has happened and she tries to keep her head down. But good luck with that. So this book is a thriller and it's even been described as a legal thriller and comparisons have been made to John Grisham's The Firm. But it was interesting to me, Wanda, that I read that you set out to write not a legal story but you wanted to write women's stories. Can you share why that's an important distinction to you, that you write women's stories? Yeah, thank you for that.
1: I wrote a story that surrounds a woman who is a lawyer, and I did that intentionally too, because I wanted to put her in a very tight spot between this ethical dilemma that she faces as a lawyer and this moral dilemma that she faces as a sister and a daughter. So that was intentional. But I want to write women's stories because, quite frankly, I just don't see enough of our stories, particularly women of color, who are strong and capable. And, you know, quite frankly, they chase down the bad guys and they run around through dark office towers, too but they are stories that also have emotion and depth i tell people despite the body count in this book it really is a story about family <laughs> and <laughs> It is a story about love and loss and resilience. It's about who we call family and why. I mean, she has this family of her brother and her aunt, Fira, but she also has this corporate family. And what do women do in order to be all things to all people? Because the majority of us, that's what we do on a daily basis, whether we're moms or, you know, we're aunts, we're business women men, we're business owners, whatever, but we're always trying to do everything and be everything to everybody. And so I enjoy writing stories that tap into what motivates women to do the things they do. What gives them strength when they are, you know, in a hopeless situation? What keeps them going when every obstacle is placed in front of them?
0: Wanda, I would love for you to share a passage from the book, just a paragraph or two, something that you particularly like for whatever reason.
1: Sure. Okay. So the book actually opens up um, with Elise in the summer of 1979 when she is a 14-year-old girl. And so this is the uh, very beginning of the book. Chillicothe, Georgia, August 1979, the three of us, me, my brother, Sam, and Vera, or Miss Fee, as everyone in Chillicothe called her, looked like a little trio of vagabonds as we stood in the Greyhound bus station, which in Chillicothe meant a lean-to bus port in the parking lot of the Pigley Wiggly. By God's grace, we'd survived summer's blazing days and humid nights. The fire ant stings and mosquito welts and all the side of the mouth whispers that floated around town. What happened? What did those young'uns do? Why is Ellie Littlejohn really leaving town? Even though I was headed to Virginia on a full ride scholarship to boarding school, it didn't stop some people around town from talking in hushed tones and asking meddlesome questions.
0: Can you talk about why you particularly like that passage? What I intended and I hope comes
1: across is that, again, I wanted to write this story about family. And so you have Elise with her little family um, as she is about to depart for boarding school. And I wanted to pick a moment in time where she had to show some real strength. you know, what requires more strength than a young child leaving home for the first time
0: by themselves? You know, your character, Elise, she works in what I would describe as probably one of the most toxic work environments ever known to literature. (laughs) She's the only Black employee and executive at a company called Hofton Transportation. And that poor woman, she cannot go to the elevator without encountering, I mean, you name it, racism, misogyny, a hugger, and just that <laughs> other general creepiness that is in certain office environments. Can you talk about that work environment? How true to life do you think that is?
1: Oh gosh, sure. Um, so yeah, it's a fictional book, but truthfully, Joni, some of the things that are described in the book kind of come out of of real life. And um, certainly, you know, I wanted to bring in characters into the book that would do double duty. And by that, I mean, they would demonstrate that they were crucial to the story, of course, but they would demonstrate also all those little things that you kind of encounter as a Black woman working in these predominantly white spaces. I mean, you have one character, well-meaning though she be, but she tells Elise very offhandedly, oh, I don't see race. I only see people. And you're like, come on, like, really? Um, The hugger in the story, I, I actually worked with a guy who hugged everybody (laughs) and This was back in the days before the Me Too movement. And so you just kind of gritted your teeth. But in all fairness, he hugged guys too. And this was before the days of the bro hug. But doggone (laughs) it, just don't put your hands on me, you know? Of course, now we all accept that, no, that is not how you behave in an office workplace. Or, you know, things like, oh, can I touch your hair? Because it looks so different from my hair or you know, butchering someone's name, all of that. um, Yeah, those kind of come out of real life experience.
0: At least practices in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And she grew up, as you mentioned, in a very small town in Georgia. She makes this comment in the book about how the new South isn't all that different from the old South. So the book does not shy away from really, really difficult and relevant issues I was wondering, did those issues assert themselves when you were writing, or were you fairly adamant from the start that you wanted this book to make some clear statements on the state of the world?
1: I set out to write this woman's story, fictional though it be. I wanted to write what it's like to be Black in America. And what it's like to be Black in America is tough. It's very tough, even still, where, you know, we have civil rights laws in place and we have DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in place. It's still very, very tough. And I intentionally set the story in Atlanta because Atlanta is such a place of dichotomy. You have Civil War Confederate soldiers carved into the side of a mountain, here in Atlanta, in Stone Mountain specifically, which is just a short drive from John Lewis Parkway. Or you have Confederate soldier statues that are right down the street from the SCLC headquarters and Ebenezer Baptist Church where the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached and worked. And so you have all these markers from these various points in our history sits side by side. And it kind of makes you wonder, wow, like this city was at one time the military operations hubbub of the Civil War and also the cradle of the Civil Rights Movement. And I wanted to highlight what those things are and what they meant as you are a Black woman working and living in this city. So I guess I would say, short answer, yeah, I was intentional about where I set the story and what I wanted the story to include. But these things that she encounters were really kind of an outgrowth of just being a Black female in this country. It's not every Black woman's story, but I think that a lot of women, Black, white, and otherwise, will find something that resonates with them in the story.
0: Well, I'm a white woman from Vermont, and I felt this book totally broadened my perspective and informed my awareness of a different type of woman's experience. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you, because you just said exactly what I wanted to accomplish and want
1: people to kind of see a different perspective and to say, hey, I never thought about that. I've got some knowledge here. And wow, thank you very much for that.
0: Wanda, let's switch subjects and discuss how the book got written. Could you talk about the highs and lows of being a lawyer being a busy woman, working in a demanding job, and also trying to write your first book. How did you learn how to do that or manage that? Where did you find instruction or support?
1: Oh, wow. Um, so interestingly, I started this book 13 years ago. I wrote the first draft of this book. It had a different title, too. As a matter of fact, it was called The Elephant Fighter, mm-hmm. Um But I wrote the first draft, probably about 70 percent, because when I write, I don't know how the book will turn out. I don't know what the ending looks like. So I wrote it to almost up to the end. And then I put it away. Joni, I put it away for seven years because I convinced myself, one, that no one would want to read a book about a, a black woman who was in her 40s who worked with really awful people who did really awful things.
0: (laughs) Well, you put it that
1: way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, right? But people come to a book to escape, I think. And I was like, who wants to escape to this horrific world I've created? But I also put it away because I didn't believe in my writing. I thought this isn't any good. And so I put the book away. And then uh, six years ago, I had a health scare. And I got through it, but on the other side of it, I started to think very deeply, like, what am I doing that gives me joy? I am all these things to everyone else. I work in this very stressful job. I have three kids. I'm a wife, a mother, I'm all these things to everyone else, but what am I doing for me? And I knew I always loved to write. And even though I hadn't touched this book, I was still journaling or what have you. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to pull that book back out. And I did. And and truthfully, it, it was still bad. It, it really was bad. <laughs> but, but that was okay because I decided I could make bad better. And um, so I committed to it this time. And I said, you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do so that I can one, finish this book and I could make it a good book. And so I started taking classes in the evenings over at Emory University. I did online courses, I entered contests, I did whatever I could so that I could learn things about the craft. And then when I thought I had it in some decent shape, I started to query to look for an agent because I knew I wanted to be traditionally published. So um, I would send out query letters that went absolutely into the deepest, darkest black hole that <laughs> you could ever imagine. Because, I guess. Uh-huh. But this time I was committed to it. And I think the reason why it was different this time is because when I went back the second time and picked up the book, I was still in love with those characters. And I said, I know that there is something here if I can just find the diamond in the rough, I might have something. And finally, I went to a conference in New York City called Thriller Fest, which is put on every year for mystery and thriller writers. And I participated in the pitch portion of the conference. And I sat down in front of this lovely woman named Lori Galvin, and I told her the story. And I pretended like I was talking to, you know, a girlfriend about these really horrible people. And she said, oh, it sounds really good. Send me the manuscript. And I sent it to her. And 24 hours later, she sent me back an email and she said, I am loving the elephant fighter. And um, she signed me up And we made some more edits and revisions over the next kind of nine months or so. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. Nobody was kind of doing anything. But we went out on submission in July of last year. And uh, 12 days later, we were in an auction.
0: Auction. That's the word every writer wants to hear. (laughs) For readers who did not read your book, they won't know what the reference elephant fighter refers to. Can you clarify that? Sure.
1: So, The Elephant Fighter is a title based on an African proverb that says, when elephants fight, the only thing that suffers is the grass. And the proverb essentially means when people who are in power bicker, then the people who suffer the greatest are the people who have no power, the people who have less. And that title, I think, goes to a lot of the characters in the book, including Elise, who, unbeknownst to herself, is also an elephant of sorts um, because she takes on a fight and there are people who suffer as a consequence of it.
0: I really appreciate your candor about this journey to what it took to both write a manuscript that you're proud of and felt was finished, and The Road to Publication. And now we get to 2021, and you are a writer to watch, so I've been watching you, one. <laughs> it sounds a little creepy, but but I wanted to ask you something about this phase of authorship. I mean, you're out there now, and you're giving me this time, and you're being interviewed, and then hopefully you're being able to connect with readers, even during this touchy time with covid What do you feel about this phase of authorship? Do you like being out there? Oh my gosh, I love it. Someone asked me recently,
1: how does it feel to be an overnight success? And I'm like, oh, you mean an overnight success that only took 13 years? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I love it. It still feels very surreal, though, Joni. I see people holding the book. I see the book out in the world. And I still kind of look at it like a kid looking into a candy shop window, like, oh, my gosh. I don't take a minute of it for granted. It it, it took me far too long to get here. So I am loving it.
0: I am so happy for you. And so happy for me and all your other readers. This has to be a book club book because I could talk about the book forever, but I'm so afraid I'd give everything away. So I'm (laughs) trying to be really careful. Wanda, I have one last question for you, which is if you were to write a six word memoir, a different kind of book, what Mm -hmm. would it be?
1: So, I think it would probably be giving up is not an option. I think because I gave up on myself before. And because I did, I missed out on a lot of joy. I missed out on the thing that gave me joy, which was writing. And when I went back to the book six years ago, I did not give up. I think I was honing in on about 100 rejections for this book. And I just kept going. I was just dogged because I love these characters. I knew Elisa's story was, um, there was something in that story for women. And I've always been an advocate for women. And I just, I just did not give up.
0: I hope all the aspiring authors that are listening take that to heart. Wanda, I really want to thank you for your time. Before we leave, though, I want to share something that relates to something you just mentioned. And you wrote this, and it so moved me. It was this. I feel a responsibility to pay back all the women before me, like my mother, my grandmothers, and every woman who was oppressed and disenfranchised but still got up each day and worked hard so that I can enjoy a life they never knew was possible. Juana, I am so grateful that you've given me this fantastic read and this time today, but I am equally grateful for your commitment to help others and to pay your own success forward. So much, much appreciation.
1: Oh, thank you
0: very much. Thank you, Joni, for having me. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Wanda Morris' much-touted novel, All Her Little Secrets, please visit her website, wandamorriswrites.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, jonibcole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.